Hello, Noswaithat. In this session, uh, I'm going to be talking about uh, Kani Helev. Kani Helev is some of the oldest poetry that's been preserved in manuscript, uh, written in the Welsh language. It was probably composed sometime in the 9th century uh, and probably in the Old Kingdom of Powys. Now, just to show you where the Old Kingdom of Powys was, this is roughly how the kingdoms of 7th century Britain looked. We've got Gwynedd, of course, in the northwest. We've got Dyved and Ceredigion, uh, Deheibarth in the in the southwest. Then in the northeast, you can see Powys there. And Powys is generally considered to be mid-Wales, uh, but back in the 7th century, it also probably reached all the way out into the West Midlands and into Shropshire, where you can see Pengwern, just below the Y in Powys. Pengwern may have been an independent region of its own right at one point, but Pengwern was also probably the capital of the Kingdom of Powys um, after the Romans left, roughly where uh, Shrewsbury is now. Pengwern and this region was part of the Kingdom of Powys up until the, the 8th century. Now, of course, after the Romans left, there was a power vacuum. The British, the early British, the Welsh tribes, couldn't get it together to defend the whole territory of the British Isles. So there were incursions from mainland Europe, Germanic tribes, Anglo-Saxons, the early English coming in from the east and the south. And they take up most of uh, Britain and push the Welsh tribes further into Wales. And by the time we get to the 8th century, the English Kingdom of Mercia has effectively split the Kingdom of Powys in half. So here you can see uh, Mercia in the 9th century, effectively, and one of the Germanic kings, Offa, builds a dike uh, constructed towards the end of the 8th century, splitting the Kingdom of Powys in half. So Powys loses Pengwern, loses its old seat of kings, and effectively loses a great deal of the very fruitful uh, and abundant uh, uh, plains surrounding the Severn, um, uh, not, not far from where that red line uh, touches the box where it says Offa's Dyke there. Now, the loss of these lands was, of course, a devastating blow, not only to the Kingdom of Powys, but to Welsh language and culture in the area. And Canny Helev, alongside several other cycles of saga poetry, including uh, the poetry composed in the voice of the character Llywarchen, this saga poetry in many ways commemorates the loss of the old Brythonic kingdoms that were uh, absorbed by these new uh, Saxon, Anglo-Saxon kingdoms, um, Northumbria and Mercia in particular. Mercia, in encroaching on the territory of Powys, um, 
of course, caused many wars, caused a lot of bloodshed. Now, Helev, the main character in this poetry, is not only commemorating the fall of Poes or the eastern uh, territory of Poes, but also the fall of her brother, Kinvalan. And Kinvalan was almost certainly a historical character, um, a historical figure, someone who uh, would have led the kingdom of Poes, perhaps not as its king, but perhaps as one of its main chieftains, let's say. It's unclear his exact status. But at different times, he would have had an alliance with Mercia against Northumbria and would have had uh, an alliance with other Welsh kingdoms and sometimes been an enemy of them. But for one reason or another, Kinderland was ultimately killed, perhaps at a battle in Oswestry, when he was fighting against Northumbria uh, in alliance with Mercia. So that's the actual history that the poetry is referring to. But it's unclear what aspect of that story the poem is referring to. It's not very clear what's going on in the poem. Um, the poetry isn't that specific about the historical events themselves. And even though the, the poetry is talking about 7th century Wales, by today scholars believe that this is actually used as a, a narrative or a story to describe the situation in 9th century Wales. So in 9th century Wales, Offersdyke has been built and the, the kingdom of Powys has definitely been chopped in half. And it's in this context, in 9th century Wales, that a poet sees it uh, necessary to create a series of poems that help the Welsh people in the Welsh kingdom to grieve, that there is some cathartic aspect to the poetry. This very grief-laden, very sorrowful, very sad poetry may be discussing 7th century Wales, but is very pertinent to the circumstances of 9th century Wales. So that's the general context. We've got Helev, who is probably a fictional character in the poetry, commemorating the fall of Poes as a united kingdom and the death of her brother, Kinvalan, who was alive in the 7th century. But this is all performed in the context of 9th century Wales, where after Offersdyke has been built, uh, Mercia has become incredibly powerful as a territory. We have the Danelaw, we have different powers at play in the territory that's solidifying as England. And the Welsh are watching this from the other side of Offersdyke and grieving for the loss of the, uh, of the territory and the loss of the nobility. Just to take a look at this poetry, um, there's one very famous sequence in the Song of Heleth, or in the poetry of Heleth, which is well known throughout Welsh culture to this day. It's probably one of the most famous pieces of poetry we have in Welsh culture. Uh, school kids learn about it. Um, it's a, a very evocative piece of poetry that really captures the mood of the whole cycle of saga poems um, that it's taken from. It's called The Hall of Kinvalan, and 
in the poem, Helev, the main character, has uh, come back to the burnt-down hall of her dead brother, Kindalan, after the loss of the territory, and is grieving in this broken, destroyed, burnt-out hall. It's composed in three-line stanzas. Uh, this was the, the typical form of poetry at this time. Many, many poems written in, the, in a similar form. The first line there, the hall of Kinvalan is dark tonight, is repeated at the beginning of every stanza. So there's this repetitive, almost hypnotic style to the poetry. I'll read for you the, the first six stanzas at least. The hall of Kinvalan is dark tonight. No fire, no pallet, no bed. I'll keen now, then be quiet. Keening, of course, is more commonly known as a form of grieving amongst women in Gaelic and even Gallic cultures. Keening, of course, is the high-pitched moan or the high-pitched uh, pitched wailing. So this is Helev saying that she will keen, she'll, she'll weep now, and then she'll be quiet. The hall of Kinvalan is dark tonight, no fire, no candle. Who save God will keep me tranquil? The hall of Kinvalan is dark tonight, no fire, no gleaming. For your sake, my heart's aching. So not only for the hall of Kinvalan, but perhaps also for Kinvalan himself. The hall of Kinvalan, dark it is its roof, or perhaps its roof is burnt, so it's blackened, yeah? Gone the glad companions, woes one whose good comes by chance. So the glad companions there referring to Helev's recollections of merrymaking and good times in the hall. Woe's one whose good comes by chance. So there's a proverbial quality to this poetry also. Many of these stanzas in other manuscript collections are very proverbial. Uh, sometimes they are describing um, aspects of nature and then relating wisdom also. We'll come on to the more proverbial or gnomic stanzas um, next year when I take up this series again in January. But it's worth seeing that there is a proverbial wisdom quality to this poetry also. And Helev here uh, essentially saying that if you don't look for good actions, if you only do good by chance, uh, then you will suffer. There will be woe, yeah? there will be grief, there will be sadness. Woe's one whose good comes by chance. Suggesting that Helev perhaps has some part to play in the tragedy. Now, it's an explicit. It's not really clear what her relationship to the tragedy is. All we really get in the poetry is that she is grieving not only for the fall of her brother, for the death of Kindalan, but for the destruction of the life that she experienced in the hall of Kindalan and in that territory that's now been uh, taken over by the Saxons. So... There's a suggestion here and a few other suggestions in the poetry that we'll touch on uh, next year that she is somehow responsible, that through some 
decision that she made in the past, she has brought about the downfall of her brother and his territory. The hall of Kindalan, your beauty is lacking. In the grave is your shield. So figuratively here, Kindalan is the shield and he is in his grave, yeah? Your shield, the shield of the hall and of the territory and the people is in his grave. While he lived, no gate was shattered. Suggesting what happened was the hall fell and this territory, perhaps this commote or this uh, this village or this township fell once Kindalan died because he wasn't there to protect it. Suggesting a particular narrative to the battle, to the fight that's been fought. That it was the moment at which Kindalan died, tragically, that the whole kingdom fell. It was at that moment there was no one to protect the gates. The hall of Kindalan's forlorn tonight. Gone is its owner. Ah, death, why let me linger? So death has been everywhere that night. Death has visited her family and her people and her old home. Why has it spared her? That's the question. Uh, and just to let you know, that's a, this is a translation by Joseph P. Clancy in Medieval Welsh Poems. This is about a quarter of the poem itself. It's quite a long poem, The Hall of Kindalan. And as you can see there, there's this oppressive mood to the poetry that's heightened by this repetition of the Hall of Kindalan. Astavesh Kindalan is Tawish Hena. Astavesh Kindalan, Astavesh Kindalan, Astavesh Kindalan. This repetition of the Hall of Kindalan, the Hall of Kindalan, time and time again, with a very similar refrain in the very first line, usually referring to the night or its darkness or lack of life, yeah? For the modern ear, it may sound a little bit repetitive, but in performance, it would increase the intensity of the emotion. You're unable to remove yourself from the intensity of the performance because it's so focused on this idea of grief and on grief as embodied in this destroyed hall. It's a very powerful uh, way of composing and performing poetry. Now, several scholars over the years have commented on the figure of Heleth. Um, there aren't that many uh, female voices in the heroic poetry of the Welsh Bardic tradition. In fact, the vast majority of it is um, composed in the voices of men, Men were only allowed into the Bardic guilds. Women weren't allowed. And there is a suggestion in Cani Heled that it's not just a woman who would be performing this, but also there might have been a chorus of women also as part of the performance. One of the stanzas, um, which is a bit like an introduction, uh, begins with Sevuchashan, stand out, you women. Uh, stand up, stand out, show yourselves uh, and listen to the lament, listen to this saga, listen to the grief that we're going to express in this poetry. 
And there almost certainly would have been a leading female voice in the performance. And perhaps, we're not sure, but perhaps supported by a chorus of women also. And it's difficult to say exactly how this poetry would have been used. Uh, Ivar Williams, for example, believed that it was poetry that would have been framed by different prose episodes. So perhaps there was uh, a little bit of storytelling beforehand and then... Uh, a performance by a woman taking on the role of Heleth, and then the next bit of the story. Or perhaps the poetry just stood alone. Perhaps the narrative was understood well enough that the poetry could really be performed on its own and was as powerful and as grief-laden and as effective uh, as a way of stimulating this cathartic effect in the audience, just as poetry. So it's quite unique in the sense that it's a woman's voice. It's quite unique in that it's from a woman's perspective and also unique perhaps in that it was parts of it, sections of it might have been performed by choruses of women, by a large group of women getting up to perform together. There's nowhere else in the Welsh tradition where we have any signs of that. Now, Helleth, as a figure, of course, symbolises many different things. We're talking about um, the body of oral poetry here from a Celtic tradition. And whenever women feature in the Celtic tradition, in stories or poetry, they are almost always associated with a supernatural aspect or a mythological aspect. In this sense, you can probably guess, but Heleth could be a sovereignty figure. Now, she's not a sovereignty goddess because she's not described as uh, an object of worship or, um, or that there, there are no shrines pertaining to Heleth, but she's a sovereignty figure. She is a mortal woman who evokes the mythology of sovereignty. She perhaps stands for the sovereignty of the lost territory, grieving for the warrior elite who have died attempting to protect her. The editor of uh, many of these saga poems, Jenny Rowland, uh, puts it like this. In the final analysis, however, she's just been discussing the, the, the different uh, strands of tradition that come together in the poems. In the final analysis, however, the choice of Heleth as narrator of the poems may depend on myth as much as history or saga. Heleth's laments for the royal line of poets and for the land and its privileges strongly recall the concept that the land or kingdom is a goddess who is wedded to the rightful king and who mourns his death and the resultant devastation of the land. The myth is ancient and Indo-European, although best attested in Celtic sources. Now, of course, in... The Welsh tradition, it's not as explicit as what we find in the Irish tradition. In the Irish stories, we find explicit references to goddesses of sovereignty, um, granting territory and power and authority onto 
male uh, lovers and um, their male counterparts. In the Welsh tradition, there are still obvious sovereignty figures, but their supernatural or sort of divine role is a little bit more obscure. And here we have a mortal woman standing in for uh, for the for the sovereignty goddess. She is an embodiment. She's evoking the myth as opposed to being the, the mythological figure herself. And although it's relatively simple to draw that conclusion when we consider this poem in the context of the Welsh tradition at large, considering stories like the four branches of the Mabinogi, for example, um, uh, and various other uh, Welsh prose classics, there are some hints in the saga poetry itself that this is the case. Again, there's no explicit mention of sovereignty as embodied in the figure of Heleth, but one uh, stanza, which kind of stands alone, um, Sometimes the, the these saga poems are arranged in long sequences and sometimes they're just single stanzas that don't appear to be related to the other poems and perhaps just stand alone as three-line poems in their own right. But one of these stanzas has this to say, If Garthmil, or Garthmul, uh, this would be a region in the... Uh, in the territory of Eastern poets that's been lost. If the region Garthmill were a woman, she would be weak today. Her wail would be loud. She is whole, her warriors destroyed. So even in the poetry itself, there's quite an explicit connection here between a female figure and a territory and her suffering, her weakening, her inability to, to be a happy, abundant land because her warriors are destroyed. And even though she is whole, even though she is still a territory, her warriors are destroyed. In much the same way that Heleth says that she is still alive and everyone else is still dead. Yeah. Oh, why doesn't death take me also? So you can see that this saga poetry is very intense emotionally. Uh, and we can quite imagine that in performance it would have been very powerful, but it also draws on the native mythology of the Welsh tradition. And as we look at more of these saga poems uh, next year, well, when I start this, uh, this series up again in early January, we'll see that even though there's no explicit reference to mythology as we might understand it in terms of the four branches or the three romances, as in the prose classics, the mythology is still there. It's still very present. The mythology is still very much an energizing and enlivening factor uh, in the text, in the material. 